0: You are listening to Myth Behaving, a podcast with a little bit of attitude on the literary world. Won't you come Myth Behave with us?
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to Myth Behaving. This is episode number 16 of Myth Behaving, and we're recording on August 11th. I'm Mayor Wilson, and I'm joined by my usual cohort, co host, and co producer, Carla Clifton. Hey, Carla, how are you today?
0: Hey, 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 I'm doing great. It is got, we've had this beautiful shower this afternoon, and so it's cooled things off a bit, made it a little more muggy, but. It's just a beautiful day. I love it when God shines on us and gives us the little rain that we need. Yeah, we need rain. Uh,
1: we're we're still without rain here. We had
0: rain a couple weeks
1: ago when we got all those floods and everything, but uh, nothing since then.
0: Um, yeah, well, I'm glad we have it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but you've got the humidity and I don't, so um, Very true. I won't trade you. Very, I won't trade you. I don't blame um, you. Yeah, i <laughs> keep I'll keep my dry desert. I don't blame you at
0: all. Well, anyway, hello, listeners. And each uh, myth-behaving show features a special guest from the literary world. It could be a writer, a publisher, agent, editor, or just anyone else connected with the world of publishing.
1: And we have several very special segments related to reading or writing. Shh. Be there quiet when hunting books in the library of a myth behavior and that means it's time for something from the library of the myth behavior and today i'm recommending soul reborn by jean murray This is a very different fantasy novel dealing with the ancient Egyptian gods and mythology, but brought into a dystopian future where hunters keep the zombie population from exploding. And it's the first book of a series that involves three sisters, and two of them are hunters, and the third one is an Egyptologist, but none of them are what we think they are when you first start reading the books. And that's all I'm going to say about that, because I don't want to give away spoilers or anything except to say that um uh, this this book has got some steamy scenes in it so it's got a little spicy element that's quite fun
0: Ooh, spice to your life well that must mean that our extra special guest today is Jean murray welcome to the show Jean, and thank you so much for joining us
2: thank you carla thank you Mayor. um Thank you so much for having me here today and introducing me to your listeners. I think what an exciting place to be. I mean, podcasting, what a great venue to reach out to folks.
1: It's loads of fun, and we're just as thrilled to have you chat with us today. Uh, It really is exciting. I've had the pleasure of getting to know you through our mutual publisher, Crescent Moon Press, so it's a a double treat for me.
2: (laughs) Well, it's a pleasure to be here.
1: And Jean is also the author of Soul Awakening, which is the sequel to Soul Reborn. So you've got two books out right now, Jean. Correct?
2: Yes, that's correct. And I'm working on the third now, as we speak.
1: Awesome. I've always loved ancient history. I I have uh, a history of actually just about any kind. i I've I've been big on on history and and. I love the old mythologies, but what got you into Egyptology and made you decide to write a series around it?
2: Well, I've always had this fascination with ancient Egypt and the secrets it holds, the pyramids, the mummies, the hieroglyphics. Um, most importantly, I think what attracted me to it is this concept um, and very complex concept of a soul in the afterlife. And when I was looking to break into publication, I wanted to really do something different to catch the, that editor's eye. And something that, one, I've never read before. And something with the same allure as vampires, the Greek gods, um, a lot of the genres that had already been pre-established, um, especially in the paranormal romance um, genre. And most of the Egyptian novels are historical. So when I was looking for something, I wanted to be that risk taker. I wanted to try something really different and bring the ancient Egyptian gods back to present day, waking them from their 5,000-year-old slumber. Um, and nothing's more exciting than mummies and curses and sexy underworld gods. I really wanted um, to try something a little bit different. And the key to the Curse series, I wanted it to be somewhat of a blended mix, a little bit urban fantasy Um, and mixed with paranormal romance lots of action lots of romance and we're talking that soul-wrenching romance I wanted to because the soul is such a big component of ancient egyptian mythology and you're right the the series revolves around three sisters lily kit and kendra and they're desperately searching to find a cure for the curse that is afflicted their father after they open this tomb um and i wanted to kind of play off the mummy's curse and uh uh and, and kind of use that uh, in my novel. Um, little do they know when they're going on this journey is that they're on a collision course with these dark underworld beings and these gods of the underworld. I mean, imagine gods waking up after 5,000 years to a world where their monuments are crumbling. They have no worshipers anymore. Um, and the world has basically moved on without them. So, um, that's what was exciting to me. And what creates that conflict is not only the underworld gods need to look past the loss of, of their followers and find their new place in the world. And because they are the key to saving humanity in this story and series. And in return, the Kerrigan sister, Kerrigan sisters are the key to their curse and their salvation. So I wanted to bring, um, that kind of ancient egyptian mythology piece to present day and it was a lot of fun doing it and um soul reborn is the first book it, you had mentioned that's lillian assar's story and it kicks off the series and then soul awakened is kendra and bakari's story and then kits is in the making um and i'm working on that now but we've i've added a one surprising addition to the series, and that is Bomani's story. He is the Legion, Underworld Legion commander, and I originally did not factor his story into the series, but as the second book started to develop, um, the readers were really asking to hear more about this secondary character. So the series has somewhat grown larger than I anticipated, but it's all, all in good fun.
1: So are you going to, is this, is he going to have a fourth book or is he going into Kit's book? Um, he is
2: actually going to be a bridge between Kendra's book, which is Soul Awakened and Kit's book, Soul Unleashed. So his title for his book is soul unbound um he kind of ends in a very bad place at the end of book two and he needs a little bit of a chance to redeem himself so uh, that's what the third book is going to be but kits ultimately um will end the series um as i originally planned
0: wow all i can say is wow I, I, you have sucked me in because I have not read your books yet. And I am so now wanting to go download them really quick on my (laughs) Uh iPad
2: because. Well, one of the fun things was is the three sisters are so different from each other. And, and like Mare had said, the first book. Um, is Lily's book, and she's a hunter. So she's a very alpha female. So the action and the interplay with Asar, who's the god of the underworld, um, it is pretty hot and steamy, I will say, because that is their character role. But Kendra is so much different than her sister Lily. She's the, the third Sister, And has kind of been sheltered most of her life. So she's somewhat naive and so forth. So her book it reads much differently than the first. So you really get a different change in
0: point of view.
2: And it kind of adds um, dimension to the book. And it's really exciting to do it that way.
0: Oh my gosh, it sounds like it. I absolutely cannot wait to read it. It just... I'm fascinated because I love, I'm like mayor. I, I love the whole, um, ancient history type, uh, events and I love mythology and I love, you know, different cultures and it sounds to me like you're just tying everything together and I can't wait.
2: I can't wait for you to read it as well, Carla. It's a lot of fun.
0: I, I
1: love the fact that you have switched I, I, you're you're third person, so you're not, not, correct. You don't have a, a voice like I've got. I've got my my main character is my voice all the way through, so I have to be very careful what I do and don't do. But you have not only third, but you you've got the point of view switching from the first book to the second book, and I think that's fascinating that you were able to to take that and get that different personality into the second book, and have the tone be different. I think that's fascinating.
2: And I think it's important, too, because with, and we'll get in, I think you have some questions about series writing, but, you know, you don't want the reader to change characters and hear the same story over and over again. Characters are very different from each other, and I think that needs to play into the book. It's, it's very important to make that distinction. So, And it's a lot of fun getting into a different character's head and how they react. And um, not everybody's an alpha. Kendra's, you know, very much like me when I was young. Um, so she was a lot of fun to write, um, I have to say. So pretty exciting. And Kit's kind of the black sheep of the family. You know, she's the second born, the little party animal. Um, doesn't... Uh, have the drive that her older sister does but goes along with it because she has that moral sense of right and wrong um but um she's a little hard to handle but i have a very good underworld god set up for her
1: (laughs) i i liked kendra in in book one a lot um the 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 scientist the the brain, the one who was who solves things with intellect, and I, I really enjoyed her in book one, so I'm I'm looking forward to to reading her book.
2: Yes, she was a lot of fun to write, um, and you're right she she looks. One of the key things in the second book book that you get to see is that one of the kind of themes is where does strength come from, and uh, Lily is very much the physical, take-action type of person. So her focus of strength is physical. Where Kendra's, she's small, petite. She doesn't have the strength to fight people. Um, so she has to use other attributes that she has, her talents, to kind of set her place in the world. And so it was a lot of fun developing that.
0: Of Truth and Mythery Of Truth and Mythery is a segment where we take a commonly held publishing or writing belief and examine whether it's true or just another myth. Jean, please feel free to answer this question or this myth or whether this is true or not. Writing a series is easier. Than a stand-alone each time. <laughs> oh boy
2: <laughs> um, I think each has its challenges. Um, I think with a standalone there's the challenge of keeping the story fresh and exciting but there's closure. so there's no tendrils to other novels. Um, and I think it would be hard to keep you know that story fresh and exciting. Being a series writer, though, each book, um, in a series has to be their own story, but there's this huge, bigger plot line that crosses all the books in the series. And you have to have an idea of where that, where that series is gonna end, um, before you even start creating book one. Um, so, there are closures at the end of each series book. Um, but there's questions left unanswered that will carry the reader to the next story. And I think in that respect, that's somewhat more of a challenge for me to kind of plan those out ahead of time and to draw the reader from one book to the other. Um, and when I came up with the idea of My key of the Curse series... It was one large story that I divided based on the sister. So Lily is in the first book. Kendra, who's the youngest, is in the second book. And then Kit is in the third book. And Bomani kind of slipped in there between Kendra and Kit. But the the bigger story, like I said, was divided among each of the sisters. And each of them have their own journey different from the previous sister and they're all different um there's always a lesson learned in each of my novels um there's a theme across the entire series about forgiveness and redemption um because we're taking the theme of the um series is we're talking about the afterlife and 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 How do we get to that point where we feel comfortable um, with ourselves and so forth? So there was a lot of pre-planning that went on um, to do series writing. Um, If you, uh, one of the lessons learned for me is that you don't want to paint yourself into a corner. Um, You have to leave some gray area because as the stories evolve from one book to the next, you may find that it's not working in a particular way that you had projected. And so you need some of those gray areas to cascade over into the next book. So you can develop it further and give yourself a little more flexibility um, with regards to the next story and the next story. So um, if I had to answer this question, it would probably be that series writing for me is a lot more difficult and challenging, though. um, And that's why I love it so much. So I look forward to that next book and making those connections and carrying the characters on from one story to the next.
0: Oh my gosh, I can so see where writing a series would have to be so much harder than writing a standalone book each time because you have to remember and document every little item that would overlap because, my God, your readers are going to know it, you know, and they're going to oh, be the yes, first ones yes, to, point the first to point it out <laughs> if you boo-booed, you know. So, you have to ha- have all of those facts documented and recorded and, and you know, you have to, to have good editors <laughs> and keeping you on the right track or whatever. Oh, my gosh, I can see where it would be much harder.
2: Yes, it, it certainly is. And, um... I think, I think the challenge with, um, standalone books is you, that idea of freshness, that you're not, you've have, you have to come up where my story is gonna span across four books. I would have to have a separate individual story for each of those books if I was going to try to do a standalone. So there, for me, there would be some challenging you know, challenges coming up with a new story each time, but for planning purposes, I think stretching that, knowing how far out you can take a series um, and how you can manipulate it to allow the series to expand even When you, like, in my case, you only planned three, but now there's four. And I can, I do have an idea for a prequel, which goes back to the beginning of how it all began, before Lily, before, um, and it has, it's her father's story. So, I think with series, you have to, it's, you have to have some flexibility in, in trying to create something.
1: Wow. The, the thing I like about series, though, and that I'm finding with mine is that I know the world so well now, even though I'm, I'm changing everything around, because, you know, the whole world is, it's really about, I know everybody thinks I'm writing these detective stories, and I'm not. I'm writing these <laughs> stories, I'm writing these stories about what happens when magic returns to Earth, as seen mm-hmm. through the eyes of detectives, which is different. But the prequels are definitely, they're set in that. But my world was there. I didn't have to do any world building because I'd already done all that. So from that standpoint, writing the series is far easier than, say, my historical fantasy, which is spanning 550 years.
2: Oh, yes. Yes. I would agree. I think, yeah, and... and You want the readers to be able to carry through that series and so one of the things that I try to do is pull the characters like Lily and Asar are still part of book two. They play a role and people want to see how folks progress over time. So Kit and Kendra will show up in Bakar or on Bomani's um story and in kits, you know, everybody's gonna be there for the final, uh, finale. And so p- the readers will be able to track on the development of the relationships. Um, even though Lily's sto- story ended at the beginning, they're going to get snapshots of, of their relationship and Kendra and Bakari's relationship as the series pulls along. And it gives, I think it roots the story and makes it that bigger picture that you envisioned in the first place.
1: Yeah. And I love the world that you've built. So seeing that world from book to book to book is, is going to be fun. And that's the tie for me. It's like, Oh, I get to go back and live in this world again. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or underworld as the case may be. <laughs> yes. Depending on, on <laughs> where we
2: are. Yes, that's true. In um, in the first book you get to see the underworld and you always wonder what it looks like. You know, they talk about the ancient Egyptians talk about this life beyond death. And so it gave me the freedom to create what that looked like. And it was a lot of fun. But in the, in Bomani's book, we're going to start to see the other pantheon, the creation pantheon, what that looks like. Um, the creators of life and so forth. So we're going to start to see it's going to, the world's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger by the end of the series. So it'll, I love that.
1: Yeah.
2: It'll be a lot of fun.
1: You know, I find it fascinating as to why writers choose the genres they do. And obviously you know, everybody probably reads the genres, at least I hope they've read the genres they're writing in. But why did you choose to write in paranormal fantasy romance genre? What made you go in that direction?
2: Um, well, I think I dream in paranormal. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> I wake up and I tell my husband, you'll never believe what I dreamt about and sometimes you know story ideas blossom from that and they're never quite average everyday events so I really I mean I really enjoy reading the genre um, and I've always thought a lot about why am I drawn to it and it could be that idea of you know that concept of immortality um, living beh- beyond ourselves that we don't get in our everyday life um, and whether it's through powers or second chances in another life or whatever it might be. I think there's, you know, if I do enjoy reading contemporary, but for me writing a paranormal novel is so much different. I want to escape from, my life, not that I want to, <laughs> I love my life, but I want to go into a world where there's no rules. And I think that's what attracts me most about writing paranormal, because there really are no limits to where you can take your world building um, and how your characters develop, what powers they have. Um, I, for the series, I wanted to root... You know my characters in a particular mythology, but there's no limit in a paranormal genre or even urban fantasy where you can take that, and I think that's a lot of fun for me and kind of gives me an escape from work and getting the laundry done and that type of thing. Um, so it's a lot of fun, and I think that's why I enjoy writing it as much as I do reading it.
1: Well, it's fun to read, too, I'll tell you that. Yeah, absolutely.
2: It's just like this vacation that you go on for, you know, two hundred and ninety pages, <laughs> and then That's a good you, know, point. you put it down and you get back to life and you work and you go back and escape a little more and it's a lot of fun. And I wanted to be able to bring that same, you know, um, excitement to readers as well through my own series.
0: It's time for Myth Print tips and tricks. Of the industry. Well, it's time for another one of our special segments. Mythprint includes a basic tip concerning writing, marketing, and anything else to do with the industry. Jean, do you have any tips about writing in general that you can share with our listeners?
2: Well, one of my favorite things to do is character building, and um, my advice would be: is think of your characters as real people. They need to have a soul. They need to have core values. They need to have layers around those core values. Even the villains, um, in your novel. And why did, why did the character become the person they are in your novel? I think it's very un- important to understand where they come from you know, where they came from and what is influencing their decisions along the way. And where do you need to take them towards the end of the novel? Um, what is their lesson that they're going to learn or development, character development through the novel? And kind of decide on that um, before you start writing. Sometimes the characters will develop, as you go through the novel and then you can go back and layer but it's good to start out with an ideal of what this character will be thinking as you put them in situations throughout your novel and I think character development is just as important as a great plot line and it's amazing how good characters can really resonate with readers and it could make or break a novel Um, and I know so many of us, um, may get, you know, rejection letters or whatever it may be, and it, and oftentimes it's that character that's just not connecting with the editor, and so maybe you need to go back and look to see where, where that character is, and is their behavior, um, appropriate for what you're trying to do. Their behavior has to be rooted in, in some truth, um, of how we act and I like to look back I'm a nurse by trade so um, I do have a fair understanding of psychology and how we interact and if somebody wants to avoid something what tactics they use um, to do that and you can bring a lot of that into your writing um, so and the last thing I would say is write what you love it will definitely come across in your stories um and in the voice that you write in and i think those two things are probably the the two key points or the best um words of advice that i can give a new writer or an old writer so um yeah so those are the two things characters are people too
1: <laughs> the, the, that's excellent advice Jean. both of those tips are just absolutely excellent and i agree with them
2: Yes. And, and, um, I, uh, like to think of my character as a recipe card, essentially. And, um, it, it's really important how that cake or whatever you want to think about it, how that end product's going to come out when you mix it all together. And I like to use that analogy um, when I'm talking with other writers to say, you know, put some thought into how you're going to develop that character. Um, because as you put them through conflict, you need to anticipate how they're going to react in, and how they're reacting is there some root that draws that out of them? So the, those are all in very important points.
1: Yeah, they are. You know, writing is such a process of so many things. What do you love most about the process?
2: I think it's seeing the story come together at the end. Um, I really enjoy writing and and sitting down, and just letting my fingers fly across the keyboard, but it's that end product that I really get the greatest satisfaction out of. It's like climbing a mountain and reaching the summit, like, uh, or in the Rocky movie, you reach the top, and you're just raising your arms going, I did it, I did it, and you go back, and you think, wow, this really turned out well, um, or you can improve on certain areas when you read through it, but I swear my subconscious works in ways that I don't even understand because I'll, when I'm going through, I'll pick up on a thread that I hadn't even anticipated and it turns out that it ties everything up at the end. So it's, it's an amazingly rewarding thing to take a blank screen on your computer and fill it with the characters and stories in my head. Um the other thing too that i like about the process um writing helps me sort through emotions and challenges in everyday life and um i put my characters through those paces um and the characters go through it on a larger scale so it's kind of a lot of fun to be able to pull that in and um one of the characters that he's in Soul Awakened, he's the hero, is Bakari. And he is kind of a culmination of all the sad stories that I've heard over the years. Um, working in the military and, and interacting with folks that have post-traumatic stress disorder and so forth. And so he has a very special place in my heart not that he has the same stories but the same struggles that um that I've seen other folks go through so his his journey is very real and he's kind of a culmination of all those folks that I've interacted over the years so it was it those things are such a reward for me to see him come down on paper so
0: I love that Well, after two books, I'm guessing you probably have your writing routine kind of established. Is there anything about the process that you don't like? Oh, that I don't like?
2: (laughs) Well, if I I could say that I don't like something is not having enough time to write. Um, I have so many story ideas, even just standalone novels that run through my head. I can't keep up with the amount that let alone type fast enough to get them down um, on paper or on my computer. So we have, um, and as most writers are, you know, we work full time. Um, I've got three boys, young boys. So every minute that I could, that I can write is very, you know, precious to me. So if it's one thing I don't like, I wish I had more time to do
0: it. Wow. That's a great answer. And I'm so surprised to hear that, you know, when I hear people say, well, I don't have time to write. And I'm like, man, I'd be carrying these little handheld recorders so I could talk into them so I wouldn't lose my ideas.
2: Yes. And I do have... um I do carry a little book with me that I'll start writing ideas down. Um, and there were several occasions where I would write a quick outline. Um, but even outlines take time to create. So you have to balance it between the two. And, um, I had to laugh when I read one of the questions about my process, because if you looked at my office, you would assume I had none at all. (laughs) It's basically empty except for my Egyptian books, my research books that I have, my computer and a whiteboard. That's literally the most I have at my office. Wow. And I do a lot of plotting of the stories in my head in... um, if i'm having trouble with a particular plot or character then i'll use the whiteboard to kind of draw it out and that's nice because it grounds me and kind of keeps me focused on you know having me not lose my place and where i wanted to take the story right. but um yeah but uh sometimes uh i'll do recipe cards i had mentioned earlier for my characters you know what What is their motivation and core values? How did I see them in the beginning? And then I start to pick them apart and then put them at the beginning of the novel. So I know where I need to get them. And so they, you know, carry along the storyline and slowly pick some of those pieces back up. So Cool.
0: Well, authors work in so many different ways. Are you a planner outlining everything and making extensive notes, or are you a pantser <laughs> flying by the seat of your pants and letting your book go wherever it will?
2: Oh, goodness. I am definitely a pantser, I have to say. Um, like I said, I plot a lot in my head, so there is some plotting that goes on, Um I usually really only write things down when I'm having challenges to nail a particular character down or a plot line. If something's not working out, but basically I have events that I have in mind, you know, along the way. And I honestly let the characters drive the story. I know I need to get them to this point and I just sit at the keyboard and fly them there and they actually tell me where to go and um, one of the fun things about doing it that way is Soul Awakened originally was just going to be uh, Kendra's and Bakari's story and all of a sudden Bamani popped his head up out of nowhere as I'm writing and he ended up being a second love interest for Kendra in her life. He was this big support system for her. Um, she has the challenge of breaking, you know, the spell on Bakari's tomb to release him um, because they need him to, um, he is the god of death, and they need him to be able to break the curse um, that occurred in book one. So the two of them, Bamani and Kendra, actually get fairly close in the process of releasing Bakari. And then when he, com- when Bakari's released, the- it just catapults the story to a new level. And I never planned that in the beginning and it just showed up along the way when I was pantsing my way through the um, the storyline and it turned out phenomenal it was probably one of the harder books to write because you uh, because I had this third almost storyline running in the mix of it and it's basically Bamani's fall from grace and as Bakari, when they release him, he's in a terrible state, but by the end of the book, he finds his honor at the end. And Bomani, who's lived his life as the pinnacle of honor, just goes the opposite direction. And so it was an amazing transition. And, um, I would have never guessed that it would have come out that way. And because of that, that is the readers were asking, what happened with Bahmani. What happened with Balmani? And sure enough, now he needs his own book to kind of redeem him. So um yeah, so pantsing has its um benefits. I think as I get farther along in my writing career, though, I see some plotting that needs to be done if I want to be able to write as many books in a year as I want to. Um, so I'm enjoying myself in the meantime until that point in time comes. But yes, I'm definitely a pantser.
1: You mentioned your next book. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on now? Oh, Without absolutely. Without giving away any spoilers?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Soul Unleashed is actually Kit's book and that is actually, I started writing that um a while back and it's about 60% complete. But when I finished book two, that left Bamani in a place that he, we needed to do some work for him and, you know, redeem him because I need him in book four, which is Kit's book. So I'm working on Bomani's story right now, and he at the I won't give any spoilers out, but at the as I had mentioned at the end of book two, he basically has lost everything. He's lost Kendra, he's lost his position as commander. Um, so he leaves the underworld kind of under this cloud of shame, and. He's lost his faith and honor. And he ends up in the only place that he can escape to is the human realm. And he is an underworlder. He does not belong among the living. And he is restricted to, you know, he can only be out at night. Um, there's certain, there's a curse for the underworlders to be in the human realm. They're not supposed to be there. So the creation pantheon has created kind of this restriction on when they can be there and when they can't. So Bomani really has to f- survive in an element that he is not used to. There's limitations. Um, he has no resources. And unfortunately he falls under someone else's control and um, he in order to stay in the human realm he has agreed to track this exiler um, that the creation pantheon is interested in and it just happens to be the goddess of war and um, she it ends up In this storyline, essentially, is that the moment he sees her, he knows he's doomed to break the one rule that he was told he had to abide, and that is to make no contact with her. And, um, he does, and then boy, do, you know, do things fall apart for him. So, and in his storyline, he finds out that really, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, but there's always someone else that is worse off, and it just so happens that it it's the goddess of war um and she she's She's a very honorable person and so forth. So he eventually pulls him back to where he needs to be. So it's a lot of fun writing his book right now because um, it, you can finally see this, how he was created and the side of him that you just don't quite get in the first two books. So it's a it's a lot of fun writing his story.
0: Oh, that it is, sounds fun. Yeah, that sounds so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is that's going to be an amazing story. Um, we've seen a lot of changes in the publishing industry just in the last couple of years. Do you feel that the changes have impacted your own work? And if so, in what ways and how do you feel about those changes?
2: Um, I think the biggest change in my tenure as an author is self-publishing. Um, that actually, that um, opportunity broke open um, with Within the time frame between my first book and my second book, and the impact on the publishing world has been huge. There's been this ripple effect across from the large publishers being able to draw new authors. Um, and it, one of the challenges I think with that is that there's, it helps, well, let me go back a step. Um, authors large and small are starting to turn to self-publishing. You'll see, you know, big authors all of a sudden come out with several small published books and then go back. And self-publishing gives a lot back, a lot more control to the author. Um, there's not that gatekeeper of, oh, readers aren't reading that. Um, so they can really take any story they want and you know give it to their readers and the readers are asking for it um and so it's removed kind of that gatekeeper of telling readers what they should and shouldn't read i think so but they're in the significant gains that that has created it has also flooded the market i think as well so a challenge to me is how do i you know stand out in that sea of blue out there that is every, all the books that are out on Amazon now um whether it's Barnes and Noble um and all the various electronic how do i stand out as an author when there's so many fish in the sea so i think it's a lot harder now than it was before with book 1 i could do a giveaway um and just give away an ebook And that would draw readers in. And so now when there's so many free books out on Amazon and so forth, it's not turning as many readers' eyes to get that free book anymore. So I'm finding that, you know, you almost have to increase or be very creative on on what the prize is that you want to draw readers in and give away and, to get exposure to the public out there. So I think that's um where we've done gains. I think there's now, you know, there's a mortgage board for readers out there and and how do you stand out and be the favorite dish of the week, I guess. Um but in the same respect, books are more affordable to readers to purchase with self-publishing. Authors take home more of their profit. Um, for all their hard work. Um, but I think there's some pitfalls too in that respect. Good and bad. So, um, I'm enjoying being published with a small press. Um, it allows me access to good, um, cover artists, fantastic cover artists and editors to make sure that my story really shines when it goes out. And so, I'll probably, you know, be with publishing for a while, but I think I may down the line take a peek at uh, self-publishing in the future. The Mythnomer
1: is... And now it's time for Mythnomer, our word of the day. Today's word is mythology. Gene, we as readers and filmgoers seem to have a love affair with ancient mythologies. Why do you think that is?
2: Um, I've actually given a lot of thought to that because dealing with and doing research for my books, um, and for the series, um, I think it's, I think as humans, I think we're just innately curious to find answers for either things we can't explain, um, or, you know, just looking at the pyramids themselves We have theories on how they created those. Um, And I think we just look back over history to find answers to our future. And I think that's what the attraction is. And one, we just really don't know um, for certain because we weren't there. Um, So I think an ancient. Egyptian mythology, especially, we're dating back 5,000 years. And the religion started well at the 5,000 year mark or even greater. And how, how did they come up with that? I mean, it just amazes me, um, in that respect. And I think there's just this curiosity of how we came to be where we are today and um, I kind of play off that um, in the series as well is you know how, look at how we've changed over time and and what were they really thinking back then and we may never know but it's a lot of fun trying to provide answers for those.
1: Yeah, Speculation is so much fun.
2: It is it is and it makes for a great story too and depending on the writer or author they can make so, you know, there's a plethora of answers out there and none of them, you know, either all are right or none are. So, but it's a lot of fun, you know, theorizing on, on how, how that happened and how they, um, came into being or beliefs and, and mythology. So it's amazing.
0: Well, speaking of fun, if you could have a dinner party with any seven people living Dead or fictional? Who would you include?
2: <laughs> I actually had to think about this for a while when I read the the question, and I've always wanted to. I always laughed and joked about, you know, that we would have this face off between Asar, who is the god of the underworld in ancient Egypt, versus Hades, um, the Greek god. And so I think when i was thinking down this line i'm like huh we could have a sar on one end of the table and hades on the other and then the uh two gods of war um uh, menthu is the egyptian god of war ares is the greek god of war and there's so many similarities between those religions and that ancient mythology um i have i would invite the two uh goddess of women and motherhood that's the goddess mutt for ancient egyptian um and hera for greek and then of course we need an arbitrator (laughs) in the middle because that would make for a very interesting dinner party (laughs) um in ancient egyptian mythology when folks because when folks are deceased, they have to have their heart weighed by Matt, who is, she is the goddess of wisdom and fairness. So you have to measure up against her standards in order to make it through the gates of the afterlife. So I figured she'd be an interesting addition to the dinner party. So I'm not sure how the dinner party would end up. We could have uh, a war of the uh, mythology uh gods but uh i think it would be for great conversation in the
0: end
1: (laughs) no kidding (laughs) i love it
0: one heck of a party yeah it would would.
1: (laughs) jean what question do you never get asked in interviews that you wish someone would please ask you and what would your answer be
2: I had to give this a lot of thought as well. And I, I was thinking, gosh, what could I say? But I think if I could, the question would be, if you could travel back in time, what advice would I give myself? You know, say 20, 25 years ago, I would say that, um, I would tell myself that everything happens for a reason. And then life lessons would make sense in the future. Um, you know, and, a now that I'm a parent, I think back and I think, you know, so many days that I didn't want to listen to my father for whatever reason, you know, and now I'm saying the same thing to my kids. It's kind of, uh, it's, I'm all about irony, and so that would be the question and answer I would give, give you, so.
0: Excellent. Well, everyone has their own personal myths uh things a lot of people think about us that may or may not be true. Their own personal myth behaviors. What myth behavior do people believe about you that is absolutely not true? Oh
2: boy. Um I guess that would be I'm actually uh somewhat of a reserve person um until you get to know me. And um I'm one of those pe I'm I guess I'm one of those people that kind of works behind the scenes and I'm not, you know, people, I guess my impression would be is that people would have this impression of me that, you know, I'm fairly sedate and quiet and so forth. And and the reason I think that is, you know, I will share, you know, information if people ask and so forth. But when they ask what I do, for a hobby and I tell them that I'm an author, the shocked look on their face tells me that I'm obviously not projecting (laughs) that in my everyday life. And it's kind of something that I do kind of behind the scenes and so forth. And, and oftentimes too, I'll, you know, people will ask, well, where, you know, where did you work before this? And I was, I will tell them that, you know, I spent 20 years in the military and again their eyes get huge like they would have never guessed it of me I guess and so that's probably one of the um, things that I would say uh, that my appearance and how I interact with people apparently doesn't reveal the backstory of who I really am so
1: I love that I love that okay so now the other side of that coin is what misbehavior do people believe about you that really is true?
2: Oh, well, once they find out that, uh, that I'm an author, that their opinion, I guess, or their belief of me, they always say that I'm full of surprises. And if they were to tell that to somebody new who meets me, they would never have guessed it. But, um, yeah, I think that's probably it. <laughs> that they believe now that I'm kind of full of surprises. And I think, like I said before, you know, even with my family, my sister said to me the other, you know, when I first made the announcement that I was writing and then, then I would become published. She goes, boy, just when you think you know someone. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I think they've learned now, now that they know, You know, that I do this on the side and the type of genre I write is that, you know, what's the next thing around the corner that I'm going to, you know, sling at them and
1: surprise them, so...
0: That sounds like fun. It does. It does indeed. Well, Jean, we've gotten to the end of our show. Oh, my gosh. We have just had the best time. Yes,
2: thank you so much. I had a wonderful time.
0: Well, thank you. We really appreciate you being here and sharing your information with us. And taking the time with us
1: today and giving us a fascinating look at what you do and all of that great advice, which I hope uh, our listeners who do want to become writers, listen to you, because that was some great advice.
0: It really was. Well, remember, everyone, you can go to MythBehaving.com for more information about Jean Murray and her links to her books. You can also read her bio and find links to her social media. And don't
1: forget, you can download this episode on iTunes or listen right on the MythBehaving.com website.
0: Yes, please take a moment to leave us a positive feedback on iTunes. That's how we move up the iTunes ladder, and we need the hits. So, let's go over there to iTunes and just click it.
1: And you can subscribe to us while you're there on iTunes.
0: Well, thanks for tuning in to Myth Behaving, and we'll see you again next time. I'm Carla,
1: and I'm Mare, and we are Myth Behaving. Where reality meets fantasy. See you soon.